0: Continue our series on Christian atheists and the idea of one who professes to believe in God, but who lives exactly the opposite. And this is that tension I've talked about over the last few weeks is that we're not to be about works, but there is this idea of faith and works, and what does it look like for us? And so even Paul, the great apostle, struggled with this is that his desire was to do what was right, but immediately he also, there was this tension of wrong. And so this is the idea that we live in for us. we desire, as followers of Jesus, to follow him, and this is our one thing. But over here, there's also our, our nature, and so we're constantly in tension with that. So we'll continue that this morning and thinking about it. But I want to ask you this question, is what makes you gag? Anybody? What makes you gag? Okay? So I have been I did student ministry for a long time, and one of the things, one time I was teaching, and one of the adults came up to me afterwards, and they're like, man, I don't know how you do it. You taught, you know, and you're there doing it. And, like, there was one kid on the front row who went digging for gold, and decided it was tasty and like you didn't like flinch and i was like man i didn't, I didn't even see it because i would have probably got, gotten sick and that would have not good we would have had a viral thing going on right there and um but you know i've seen all kinds of, i've seen a guy like fall and break his arm and like the arm is hanging and i'm like oh that's cool you know and so those kind of things like medical things don't seem to bother me even when becky we have a c-section i was down there going awesome look they're moving your guts and all that and so that was cool but man i'm going to tell you there is one thing that it is my kryptonite dog poo, dog poo. I can go out into the backyard, and I will, like the kids that's kind of their deal is you're supposed to clean it, and every once in a while I'll try to help them out. But listen, like it is just not my thing. I went into when we lived in Colorado, where there was a, we were having some people over, and so I was helping the kids, and we were doing a lot of stuff, and I'm literally like the kids on one side of the yard, and I 'm on the other side of the yard. And they can hear me over there going, Hat! Hat! and they're like, what's going on? And I'm like, "I can't get the poo. Hat! And so, I mean, it is like in my ear, my eyes are just watering. It's just all kinds of crazy stuff. So there's stuff that makes us gag. Maybe you've ever had a drink and you just take a sip of it. and You're like, oh, that's nasty. And you just want to spit it out. Well, this morning, that is the image that I want you to get a grasp and to, and to catch from the passage that we're going to be looking at in Revelation chapter 3 is that one of the things, as followers of Christ, not only is it an individual decision, but it also, community is an important aspect of living out our faith. And so here is a church in Laodicea, and that they were a group of believers, but, and so as this group of believers, Jesus spoke to them. So in, in Revelation, uh, Jesus talked to seven churches, specifically through John, and so he had seven letters to these different churches. And to the six of the churches, he gave a word of commendation. He'd say, hey, I praise you for X, but here are some things to work on. The one church that he didn't have a commendation for was the church at Laodicea. And so as we'll see here in a little bit, we'll talk about why. But, but for us, is, as followers of Jesus, one, it's an individual thing, but then we also live in community. And what do we as a church, what do we look like? What are we projecting? What are we pursuing? Are we pursuing Jesus or are we pursuing other things. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 3, and we'll show it up here on the screen in just a second. But I want you to get a grasp on who was Laodicea. So Laodicea was an important city. Originally, when it was founded, it was founded as a fort and um, because of its importance strategically. So you couldn't go east or west or north or south without having to go through Laodicea. This is how important it was. And so over the years, um, it moved just from being a fort to actually a commercial city and so it was a lot of people coming through and so they if you're going east and west and north and south and this is kind of a good spot for you to stop people were stopping and they were putting their money in the bank they ended up buying things and so you can imagine here's a city that kind of starts off as a small town and continues to grow in importance because of the amount of money and and the commercial things that are happening there so that's one thing is this is an extremely wealthy city one of the unique things around the countryside of Laodicea is they were known for their sheep. Now, most of you are like, wow, sheep are everywhere, right? But they were known for a sheep with a specific wool that wasn't anywhere else in the world. It was a violet black wool. So whenever they would shear that, they were able to mass manufacture interesting clothes using that wool. So you would know, hey, one of the things of the day was to say, hey, I have a tunic or I have a piece of clothing that's made from this wool from the, from the area of Laodicea. So you can imagine, they're one of the first fashion designers. It's one of the French capitals of the world. and So you can imagine, hey, they have a lot of money. They're growing in stature around the world because of the money, then also because of their producing all of these goods. And then also they had a world-renowned medical school in the area. And so they were producing an eye salve, an eye ointment, that they were supposedly put on your eyes if you had certain issues with your eyes. And it would solve that and create healing, which is obviously a good thing. And so these doctors were so well known that they were actually printing coins using those doctors' um, faces. So you would know, hey, I've got a quarter instead of George Washington, you got Dr. Bill Red Duke, or what was his name? You know what I mean, Dr. Red Duke. So you got all these different doctors, Dr. Spock or whatever. All these doctors. So there was a, a well-known thing that was happening. So here is the city of Laodicea, a very important city, wealthy, producer of clothes, the fashion place of the day. And then also they, they have all of this, this medical power that's kind of going on. And so there, there's good things happening in the in the city of Laodicea. Now, one of the problems that Laodicea had was because of where they were located, water was not easy for them. They didn't have easy access to water. And so if you know anything about history, I mean, a city that doesn't have easy access to water is easily laid siege to. So if they were surrounded, it didn't take long for that city to to give over control to whoever was the, you know, the force because they didn't have access to water. The closest water source to Laodicea was over six miles away. So that's a long way. Think about even in those days, that's, that's a long ways away. And so six miles away was the closest water. Now, the interesting thing about Laodicea's water is they had two sources, Hierapolis, which was uh, above them, and they would be able to receive medicine medicine water which we call hot springs so hot springs and so they were getting hot water for hierapolis and so they could get that and bring that down and then also Coloss. if you've seen in the bible the city of colossians that paul wrote to Coloss was a city known for their spring water like frozen cold spring water that, that we love to drink and so the people in laodicea had two options for water coming in so again their wealth helped them have that access One of the interesting things, which is probably true today as well, is that as that water travels, hot water becomes what? Cooler, right? And then cold water, as it travels, it becomes warmer, okay? So here's the deal. So as it comes into the city, if you were wealthy or if you were of a certain social status, you were the first ones that had access to the hot water, to the cold water. So for most of us that are peasants, as we get to the water, it's not going to be hot, it's not going to be cold, it's going to be lukewarm so most likely nasty that none of the water that we want us to drink that we want to drink anyway and so here's this deal and so with that idea of everything going on about laodicea here we are in revelation chapter 3 starting in verse 15 it says this i know all the things that you do that you're neither hot nor cold again he's talking to the entire church i wish that you were one or the other. I wish that you were one or the other. I wish that you were either completely hot or completely cold, so that people would be able to, to see your deeds and know them. Verse 16. But since you are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, if you have in your notes that word spit and kind of discuss, understands what that is. And so it's literally like you take it in. Jesus is saying, I've taken in the deeds that you're doing as a church and as a body. I'm taking them in and it's like lukewarm water. I receive them. And I get a taste of them and then I spew them out, which is a pretty drastic image for us of Jesus saying, listen, I'm taking in the things that you're doing that maybe even you say that you're doing for me. I take them in and I spit them out. I spew them out around. And so why? Because there's this idea of lukewarm Christianity is an oxymoron. I know we started school this week. How many of y'all remember what an oxymoron is? Y'all remember that? Lukewarm Christian is an idea of an oxymoron. Jumbo shrimp right? Microsoft works. Right? Those kind of things. You got it? And so lukewarm Christians. So we've got that. So it's this, I believe in God, right? But I don't really need him. A lukewarm Christian is, I believe in God, but I don't really need him. And the city of Laodicea, one of the reasons that they didn't need him is because of their wealth. And so as we've seen historically all throughout history, especially in America, as a denomination... So think of Methodists and Presbyterians and, and all these different denominations that would proclaim to be Christians, right? As these denominations have grown in the United States, and as they have become more popular, they've become wealthier. And as they become wealthier, their, their uh, theology changes, And so as we become wealthy as people, we can see it through history. The further away we get from the literal understanding of Scripture to begin to take bite-sized pieces of Scripture that fit what we need and what we want. And I think we can see that even now as a culture, is that we're taking and doing different things out of Scripture and kind of making up what we would say is Christianity. And sometimes what people say is Christianity doesn't even fit necessarily what the Bible talks about. So this Christian atheism idea... Look at here, it's verse, uh, following verse 16, verse 17. He says, you say I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. Now, this idea of being rich is that not only are they rich, but they're looking at God and they're saying to him, listen, that I am rich and I'm rich not because of you. I am rich because of me, because of my talents, because of my skills, because of my smarts. And so they're look, literally looking at Jesus and they say, listen, you're asking for me to give to you and to be generous to you, but the resources and the very reason that I'm rich and the reason that I'm valued, the reason that I have what I have has nothing to do with you. So they're kind of putting up this wall and saying, listen, Jesus, I don't want anything to do with you. My wealth and my riches have nothing to do with you. And on the flip side, here's what he's saying. You say that you don't even need me, and when I look at you, you don't even realize, but you are poor, you're wretched, literally pitiful, you're blind, and you're naked. So have you ever heard the story of the emperor without clothes, that he received a special set of clothes, and so those clothes were really not clothes? And so he had a parade. He wanted everybody to see in his kingdom. He wanted them to see the clothing, the special clothing that he had. And the special clothing were literally nothing. And so he's invited everybody to the parade, and he's marching down through the parade, and his people are looking, and they're saying, why is the king naked? And this is that idea here is, is that there's times that we fool ourselves into thinking that we are something when in reality we're completely opposite. As a matter of fact, just the other day, my family, we were watching a new show, and it's this magician-type show, and one of the things that he did was he, he brought a crowd in, and he invited these specific people, and he told them, hey, listen, we're going to do a magic show today, and how many of you believe in invisibility, that you can become invisible or you can make things invisible? And everybody raised their hand, and like, yeah, this is cool. And so he told them, well, what we're going to do today is we're going to invite people are just going, I'm going to do a magic show and people are going to come down and we're going to make one person our subject. And that person is going to believe that they're invisible, but they're really not going to be. And so let's see how they, what they do and how they respond. Um, thinking they're invisible. And so he starts his magic show and he's doing his little thing. And then at some point during the magic show, some people walk up and he does a little trick and it makes something invisible. And he says, hey, how many of you think that I can make you invisible? And so a couple of people raise their hand, and so he has them come down. And this one, there were several different people, but this one person in particular, he's talking to them, and he says, okay, let's make you invisible. And he puts the whole cloth over them and does that whole thing and shakes it like they do. And then, you know, so many times, like we see, whatever it is is gone, right? Which, who knows how, whatever, the illusion of that. And so this person sitting in that chair totally believes that they're invisible to everyone else. So you can imagine that, it, I mean, and that whole crowd knows that they're totally visible. They know this, but this one person believes it and they are so convinced. So immediately the magician gets a call, a fake call. He takes it and he walks away for a little bit. And so this person that's sitting there thinking they're totally invisible gets bored waiting. And so they begin acting out and doing crazy things thinking that they're totally invisible. So they stand up in front of people and like walk around right in front of them and they're dancing and like putting their Heine in front of them and doing all kinds of stuff. And then one of them went over to someone had brought a picnic lunch and walked up and they reached in to grab the bottle of wine, and we're walking away, and they're like, look, the wine is floating, and they're like, whoa, and so he puts it back, and so, and again, the whole time, they can see this person, and the things that they would do, and the ridiculousness of what it was that they were doing, that they were literally walking up behind people, and tapping, and literally walking up, and some people were actually cuddling with other people, and they thought that they were invisible, but they weren't, and so crazy things that we do, and and so here's this idea is that these people thought that they were rich and thought that they had everything that they could possibly want and need, that they could push God away, and the ridiculousness of that. And what that looks like for us, and what it look like for the people of Laodicea, is that we, are, we, we think that we're one thing, but we're completely the opposite. God sees our works and our deeds in a completely opposite way. So as Jesus continues this discussion, he says, hey, there are three things that we're distracted by as people that as we're in pursuit of god there's three things that kind of pull us in this other way for most of us and the first thing is this is money that we get distracted by the pursuit of money because listen money is a necessary thing you have to have clothes you have to have a house you have to have food and all those things these are necessary things but it's easy for us to get distracted by the pursuit of money and so jesus says listen as you're in this pursuit of money how much is enough because let's be honest, there is, for most of us, there's something about if we have enough money, then we're going to find security. If we have enough in our bank account, then there's security. If our, we have enough credit limit, there's enough security. And so we're, we're pursuing after this security. We're pursuing after this money. And what Jesus is saying, listen, you're never going to have enough money. You're never going to have enough because you're always going to be pursuing money when you should be pursuing me. And so that's the first distraction. The second distraction that we have is not just money but also our image. And so sometimes these are easily tied together is that we have a desire to create an image for ourselves that other people so they see us. So we choose certain clothes. We choose the cars we drive. We choose who we hang out with. We choose how we do our Instagram selfies. And we do all these different things and we filter life so that we can present an image to other people because we want people to see us in a certain way because we find value in how people perceive us. And so that's also one of the reasons why we pursue money, right? Because if we need a certain image, then sometimes we need more money. And so these things are kind of going hand in hand. And it's so easy for us, again, to good things that are valuable things that we get distracted by them and they become a pursuit and just move us away from pursuing Jesus. Again, this is the beauty of community. And so now you've seen this rich city, this rich community of believers that's been distracted by the things of the city, that they have great wealth, they have all these things that they could possess, all this stuff that's coming before them. And so instead of a spirit of generosity, they've been a, a spirit of bringing things into themselves. And again, that identifies themselves. So the money and the image, and then also they're distracted by power they want something for themselves they want something that gives them that and so that there's even today more and more leadership books are coming out and these leadership books are talking about the principles of Jesus and that hey that you may be the boss but that doesn't mean lording your authority over people but it may mean that you're actually the lead servant and again this is this idea for us is that a followers of Christ is that we have an upside-down living, that we do things and we see things and we see people differently, not as a, an opportunity to lord authority over people, but as an opportunity to serve people. That maybe the reason that you're the boss, maybe the reason that you've gotten this this pay raise, maybe this reason that you've gotten this promotion is not that you, so you can have more, but that so maybe you can be more generous. And so here, this city of Laodicea had everything before them. This community of believers had all these resources and everything before him. And so the very deeds that they're doing are not for Jesus, are not for for the kingdom, but are totally for themselves so that people can say, hey, look at me, look what I'm about, look who I am. And how easy it is even for us as a community, for for us to pat ourselves on the back for the things that we're doing and and get distracted by all these other things. Continuing on, not just money and and image and power, Jesus' answer to these pursuits are this, so I advise you, instead of buying gold from the bank and, and enhancing your wealth, buy gold from me. Right? So the gold that Jesus provides is a gold that's that's refined. It has to do with our character. We look at first Peter first Peter chapter three, Peter talks about, hey, that there's a gold that we're to, to pursue after, and that gold is a gold that's refined. And that the first whenever you receive gold, there's a lot of impurities in it. But that as you as the guys get to working on it and providing and, and that there's a fire that happens, and in that fire the impurities rise up, and that, that as followers of Christ there's going to be fires of life that happen. And in those fires of life we can easily complain, hey, it's too hot, I don't like this, but understanding that Jesus is walking through this with us, and so the impurities of our character are rising to the top, and Jesus cleans those things off, and we're looking and acting and thinking and pursuing things a little bit more like Jesus. Then we will be rich, and we will pursue the gold that Jesus provides continues on and he says and you can also buy white garments from me now these garments again this is a city that's been consumed by garments and jesus says listen those clothes that you that you put yourself in that you think are providing an image that everybody likes listen pursue garments of white because those are garments of rightness and garments of righteousness and so buy righteousness from me get invested in those things again your character and what it looks like for us as followers of jesus and he says also so you won't be shamed by your nakedness and then he says the ointment for your eyes this ointment that you think is bringing healing I want to bring I want to bring an ointment that brings healing for now but also for all of eternity. He says those that love that I love I discipline and I correct. Not about you but as a parent you've ever heard that whenever you were a kid hey your parents would discipline and you're like man this hurts me then it hurts it hurts me more than it hurts you whenever they're putting you in time out or Maybe you got a little pop or something and you're like, yeah, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. But then when you become a parent, you begin to understand that, that what that means is that, that it's this disappointment. There's this hurt that happens. And so here Jesus is telling the children at the church of Laodicea, listen, I love you, and I, but because I love you, I need to correct you and discipline you. And the very next thing, he says, listen, I want to be so that you are moving in this direction, Laodicea. You're moving in this direction, and as the Father, I want to correct you and I want to stop you because you're moving in the wrong direction. The things that you're pursuing of money and of power and of influence and of all this, this image that you're pursuing for yourself, you're moving in exactly the wrong direction that you need to be doing. And so there's this old church word, if you've been around church for a little bit, this word called repent. Have you ever heard of it? And so that what Jesus is saying is to turn from your difference, indifference is to literally repent, is that you're moving in this direction and that you hear the truth, you're corrected, by the truth, and you stop in that moment, you see the red flags, you see the road signs that, hey, danger is ahead, and you stop, and you literally turn and begin to walk this direction. And so what Jesus is saying is, listen, there's, it's easy for us, this is a natural thing, because we're human, because we want some of these things, the things that are good and natural for life can become overly too much for us, too much in a pursuit of money, too much in a pursuit of an image, too much in a pursuit of power. And so that we're in a a moment before we even realize that we're distracted by it and we're moving in this direction and there's somewhere along the way we can have blinders on because we're such a movement that God gets our attention and in that moment gets our attention, we realize the direction we're headed, we stop and we turn and move in this place. Now here's the other part of this is that so many times whenever we're over and we're pursuing this way and we stop right here, we believe this thing that even if you're a child of God, you begin to believe this lie that you're not clean enough, you're not good enough, you've gone far enough away from God that He will not bring you in close to Him. That there's this natural shame, there's this natural Dirtiness or whatever it is because of how you've been taught or whatever a misunderstanding of the truths of God And so that if you are a child of his one, He's never he's never left you He's never gone away. And so you're not dirty. You're not unclean You are this idea is that you're moving in this direction. And yes, it's disappointing. Yes It's not where you're supposed to be going. Yes, it's not the right place But as god reminds you who you are and that that's not life giving to you you repent you turn and you come back all right, look at verse 20. Look, I stand, and this idea of stand is I stand in exactly the right place to receive you, okay? So Jesus is saying, look, I stand at the door, and this is a door that we have. Stand at the door and knock. Now, we don't have this happen very often anymore. we got doorbells, or if somebody comes to our door, most of the time we're like, who is at my door? I didn't invite anybody over. All right, most of y'all, we live out, so no one will come to our house, okay? And so... Look, I stand at the door and knock. And here's what it says. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. Now, this is an interesting deal. It is on us. Now, I know some of you, you've seen these great paintings about this where Jesus is at the door and he's knocking. And it's, met, it's kind of this idea of, hey, for someone who wants to receive Christ for the first time. But actually, this is exactly opposite of that and that this is an idea of we're already in relationship with him, we're already in community with him. And so he's saying to us, listen, I stand at the door and knock, and I want you to open the door. And the idea is on the on his side of the door, there's not a handle, there's not a knob, there's nothing. We are on the other side; it, It's totally on us to open up the door. We're already in relationship with him. We know the voice, right? So if, we, if we're a child of his, if we're, we know the voice. And when we hear the voice, we know it and we recognize it because none of us would be crazy enough to open up our door to someone we don't know or whatever. And so here it is. We already have a relationship. And so he calls out to us and we open up the door. And what does he say? I will come in. I will share a meal with you as what? Friends. As friends. So even in those moments when you've felt like you've walked and strayed the furthest you could possibly stray, Jesus is standing there. He's standing at the door and he's knocking He's saying, listen, you haven't strayed enough far enough that I don't want to sit down and sup with you as my friend. If you're a child of my father, you're a friend of mine, and I miss and long for sitting and supping and doing relationship with you. But the lie is is that he doesn't want to sit down and sup with us. And so we skip church. We skip our quiet time. We skip our personal time. We skip hanging out with our friends that are Christians. We skip because we think that we've strayed so far and so then one day we wake up and it's been three months, it's been six months, it's been a year, it's been whatever. And then when we, we really feel a long ways away from God and God, Jesus is like, hey, you're a child of mine. And he's standing at the door. That's that pulling at your heart, the tugging at your heart. He's saying, listen, I want to sit down and sup with you. We are friends. We're not enemies. We're not, at, 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 we're not fighting one another. You Yes, you've strayed and it disappoints the Father, but he still wants us to sit down and to sup with him. Come, enjoy fellowship with me and so for so many of us we skip out on the good stuff that god has for us and we go to the scraps thinking that god doesn't want to enjoy the best that he has for us so my question for us this morning is what are you pursuing what's distracting you right now in your pursuit what is it that's keeping you are you like man i need this and i need this security so i'm doing this or man i've been working really hard on my image i was laughing even uh, the other day where I, was, I saw a video where these girls were at a, at a baseball game and they were working on their, the, the entire time, there was like a five-minute video and the entire time they were at the baseball game and all this stuff like people were hitting home runs and all this exciting stuff was going on and they had no idea the game was going on because they were doing selfies. You know, they were so consumed with their image and how we have gotten into this where we'll do all these things and filter things because we're concerned about what people are thinking about us. And we're constantly thinking about that if we just get to this position or I have this, this will give me authority and I will arrive. Listen, if you're a child of God, you have arrived. You have authority. You have power. You have an image. You have all the riches that you could possibly need are there before you. And so for us, this tension that we live in, I'm a follower of Christ, but I want to do good, but I still have these things that I think might bring me value and purpose. What are you living for? What are you pursuing? a follower of Christ. Pursue Him and know that we live in this tension. Give yourself a little break and know that even in those moments when you're distracted, even those moments when you're away, that Jesus as a friend is waiting and sitting to sup and to dine with you as His friend, as a child of God. Let's pray together. Dearly Father, we all admit we are easily distracted. There are so many things to do. There are so many things to be a part of. Father, there's just so much, and so it's easy for us to get distracted. Father, I pray for each one in this room. I know that we've had seasons, have moments. We may even be in a season where we're distracted. Father, I pray that we would hear and know through your voice, through your loving voice of correction and discipline, to just stop the direction that we're headed and to turn and to move back and to know that you are sitting and waiting, knocking, and wanting to sup with us and dine with us. Father, we love you. It's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen.